We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. You're listening to Setting the Pace, your go-to Pacers podcast with Alex Golden and Michael Focci. Miller for three. Oh, he backed it in. He backed it in. And the game is tied. We're going to overtime. Warren lets it fly. Yes. T.J. Warren is not human. Ranger catches, shoots for three to win it. He hits it. Go. Brogdon for three. Let's Got go. it. O'Neal drives on Yao. Puts it in. Duarte for three. Boom, baby. Anthony is Denies him at the rim. Karis LeVert. People don't realize how good he really is. One vert. Skies high for the jam. Stevenson passes into Sabonis for the basket. Jackson turns, fires, and has. Oh, Turner bringing that smoke. Flips it to the big fella, fake shoots, and hands. What's up, everybody? Uh, this is Dwayne Washington Jr. And you're listening to Setting the Pace. What is going on, everybody? Welcome back to another episode of Setting the Pace. Want to give a big shout out to Travis Rigney for the incredible new Setting the Pace intro. Fachi, what did you think of that new instrumental musical intro that we've got? Absolutely love it. Gets you just upbeat and excited for Pacer basketball. I mean, I, I thought that that, uh, that really kicks off the episode in a positive note. Yeah, and so to be honest, I've just I've been looking for an intro song for the longest time for us. Had some ones that I kind of liked, but nothing that really felt like this is it. So I reached out to my buddy. He's a professional writer, professional music, musician, and uh, he came up with that. So I was really, really excited about that once I got it back. But we are here to talk about Pacers basketball. We're going to have Kevin Bowen on in the second segment, and we're going to discuss if the Pacers made a mistake by not moving one of the bigs this offseason. But before we get to that, we've got some pretty bad news. Edmund Sumner looks like he's going to be out for a significant amount of time. Fachi, what's going on with Edmund Sumner? Alex, a torn Achilles was reported in practice. Achilles, in my opinion, is the worst injury that you can experience in sports. Uh, it's something that outside of what Kevin Durant did last year, I mean, I've truly not seen someone bounce back and, and truly – you know, take their game to the next level following an Achilles tear. Edmund Sumner, I do not expect to be back on the court this year. And that hurts a lot because not only a promising guy on the court, great guy off the court, but also entering a contract year. Yeah. 
just a lot, uh, just a lot of disappointment for Edmund at this point because with the Warren injury, you're like, hey, maybe Edmund can crack the rotation now a little bit because at, at that point we had thought if Warren was healthy with Duarte being drafted, getting Tory Craig, Justin Holiday, there was just too many guys maybe in front of him in the rotation. So with the Warren injury, you thought, oh, maybe he could get a chance to crack the rotation, and now with this news, probably going to miss the rest of the season. There's a lot of things to look at here. Um, I think one of the biggest ones is now we've been talking about Keelan Martin for a while. It wouldn't surprise me now if they're able to keep Keelan Martin and use him as depth because with losing Sumner and with Warren being out, you're going to need depth to that wing position. Absolutely. And look, you know, Keelan Martin's contract, I believe it's like roughly 1.7 million. I mean, it's it's very cheap enough to the point where you can guarantee you've already strung along this far. So Keelan Martin probably is the guy that in terms of you never want to say benefits in this situation, but maybe, you know, becomes more valuable. So here's the thing. Yeah, you bring back Keelan Martin. All right. But that lack of that roster spot while the Pacers are also pinching pennies at this point, it's tough. I mean, it, it really is. So there'll be some guys that that step up. One guy that also got to take a look at, Chris Duarte. Duarte is going to, you know, be able to take Sumner's minutes. And I don't want to make this, you know, about, a, hey, how can everybody else gain? Because I truly do feel for Ed, Edmund Sumner. One of the guys that the Pacers truly developed. They, they developed Edmund in a time where not much other player development was going around. So this is, this is a solid loss for the team. But also for a guy like Jeremy Lamb. This might encourage the Pacers to keep Lamb on the roster to start the season at least. Well, I don't think they had a choice because I don't feel like there was a lot of trade value for him. But with that being said, Foch, I just want to look real quick because everybody keeps talking about, man, we can't stay healthy, we can't stay healthy. And then you have two significant injury updates in just a matter of three days. Now, I would say they're bigger for T.J. Warren because of what he means to the team and what his role is, but at the same time, losing Edmund Sumner for probably the rest of the season is a massive blow. But I wanted to go back and look at the list of Pacers that were injured or had injury history before the Pacers acquired them, whether that was via a trade signing or a draft. I'm just looking at this current roster. I'm going to start it off with Miles Turner. I understand that he's, you know, a guy that hasn't really had like major, major injuries, but he's missed a lot of time here and there throughout the season with a you know, a foot injury, a hand injury, that kind of thing. But before that, before the draft, I don't know if you remember or not, but there was concerns about his running style. I remember that very yeah. clearly. That, yeah. that scared me and a lot of people. They said he couldn't really run right. It was like, yeah. well, what, is, what does that mean, you know, when you get to that far? But, hey, you know what? I don't think it's been an issue at all since he's been in the NBA, but it was something that they reported. Yeah, I mean, I still think he does kind of run a little bit different, but I don't think it really impacts his game. But that was something that was – hey, this could be a red flag. And then you go down to that same draft, Edmund Sumner. He had a knee injury. I know they drafted E.K. Anibogu. He had, I believe, injury history at UCLA. So, But he's not on the team right now. But Edmund Sumner had that knee injury. That's why he fell to the second round. Then you look at who they got. They got T.J. Warren, who had foot problems for a long time there with Phoenix. You look at Jeremy Lamb. He just had numerous injuries before he got here. He had knee problems, shin problems, back problems. Malcolm Brogdon fell in the draft, too, because – he had a foot injury history, and then he had a left quadriceps tendon that he tore that kept him out for uh, six to eight weeks for the Bucks. And then, of course, Karis LeVert, who had multiple foot injuries in college, and then he had a torn ligament in his thumb with the Nets. And then, of course, before they traded for him, they found out he had cancer. I'm just saying, like, the Pacers and a lot of their key guys that they brought in 
aside from Sabonis, really, with this starting five and the, and drafting Chris Duarte, most of these guys have had injury history. And you know, people say, "Well, we can't just we can't get healthy," and that's what the the front office keeps using as an excuse, I should say, to why this team might not you know be able to reach their potential. But I think more so, it's because of that problem. It's a very valid point, and that's where the Pacers are trying to think outside the box to take those those gambles on the players like T.J. Warrens and, and maybe the Malcolm Brogans that other teams have not wanted to fully commit to and hope that it pays off. And in some instances, it has. In some, it is becoming alarming because when you have an injury history, I mean, there's always that there, – there's certain guys that, you know, you can't put your, your finger on it, but there's certain guys that are more prone to injuries than others. And unfortunately, the Pacers are racking up those guys. They really yeah. are. And it's just really unfortunate. Once again, a guy like Edmund Sumner, I, I truly fear for because this is a guy that was really heading towards his first solid payday. Yeah, so we've got Kevin Bowen waiting right now to come in. Let's go ahead and just bring him on live and get his thoughts on the injuries. Yeah, and obviously this news just flat out sucks. <laughs> you know, um, when I think back to last season, I think of you know, individual bright spots. I mean, Sumner is on that list, and you look at his career and just the different types of injuries. You know, I watched him a good amount in college at Xavier. You think that everything he's been through in a contract year, all that, it, it just it just sucks for him. Um, the other thing I think just kind of team-wise is the Pacers have made no bones about it. They've been very, I think, honest about it, that they lack athleticism in general, you know, compared to other mm -hmm. NBA teams. You know, they are a highly skilled team. Um, I, I think, you know, basketball IQ is, is pretty consistent throughout the roster. But in general, they lack athleticism. Uh, it's why they drafted Cassius Stanley. Now, you know, that didn't work out. But it's why Isaiah Jackson, I think, was such an important draft pick in their minds as well. So um, that, that, I think, when you talk about the roster, sure, minutes-wise, was he going to play 20 a night? I, I, I don't know. You know, who knows how that puzzle would have come together. But after a promising season that he had last year, for him to, you know, have suffered this injury and now it looks like his season's over just just absolutely sucks. Yeah, you know, this is really disappointing because Sumner was one of those guys that I truly felt that the Pacers did a good job developing. Um, at, at this point, you know, he doesn't make enough money for the Pacers to really get any type of, uh, you know, financial, um, you know, cushion back. But what do you think? Do you think maybe Sumner might have played his last game as a Pacer? Yeah, I mean, that's obviously uh, certainly part of uh, part of the storylines, you know, when he, he is in a contract year and, and you think about the injury history that he's had. Um, yeah, I think that's a very real question. Um, you know, from a sentimental standpoint, you'd love to give him another chance. And like I said, not only did, you know, was he a bright spot last year? I, I just felt like, although the jump shot makes me cringe every time I see it, it, it went it in better. a lot. It got better. Yeah, it, it definitely got better and it went in at a lot higher rate. So I, I would like to see him back but like you can't bring him back with any sort of hey he can be the eighth guy like you probably bring him back and say compete for a roster spot and, and and that's just the issue when you have the injury history that he's had and you know that's that's the bigger storyline that I'm sure we'll get into a little bit later but um that's just kind of the unfortunate nature with you know really so many guards and wings on this roster yeah and before you came on I was telling Fachi in our opening segment I, I was really just bringing back the, the comments that we hear, oh, the Pacers, they're always injured. And 
if you look at the list of Pacers that were injured or had injury history before the Pacers acquired or drafted them, and I'm specifically looking just at this current roster, you, you go back to draft night with Miles Turner with the awkward running style that scared several teams off. Edmund Sumner, you mentioned his knee. T.J. Warren had foot problems like crazy. And Phoenix, Jeremy Lamb, he's had numerous minor injuries with his knee, his shin, and his back. Malcolm Brogdon, the reason he dropped in the draft was because of foot injuries. And then he he suffered a quadriceps tendon, a left quadriceps tendon tear that he had with the Bucks. And then, of course, Karis LeVert, he had the numerous foot injuries in college. He had a torn ligament in his thumb. And then, of course, they found the cancer before we acquired him via trade. So, the Pacers, really, if you look at that, that's like four of their five starters. And Lamb at the time was supposed to be the sixth man when they got him. Sumner was a gamble in the second round. But that is a lot of guys that you're counting on with a good amount of injury history. Yeah. And it, I mean, man, I, I, I'll be honest. I didn't realize the list was that long. When you yeah. started rattling off names, I was kind of like, oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Um, it, it really comes back to my biggest issue with how the Pacers approached this offseason when I heard from. I was surprised, frankly, how many people, um, you know, not just colleagues of mine, but even there were, you know, I think a chunk of the fan base. I'm not sure where exactly you guys sat. I know we talked late in the year. Maybe it was early offseason. I kind of forget. But the run it back theme was just so much more popular than I thought. And I'm like, you can't sit here and say, run it back. We got to see this team healthy. And I'm like, no, 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 no. This team will not be healthy with how it is currently constructed. There's too many guys. And again, to your point, Alex, like I, I, I didn't realize it was that many guys, but there's too many pieces that dating back to their collegiate careers, they have had this long injury history. And it's a reason why Phoenix and Milwaukee said, all right, TJ Warren, all right, Malcolm Brogdon, you've shown promise, but you know, we just feel like that we need to move in a different direction. It's why Sumner, obviously a big reason why he fell to the second round. And then, you, uh, you mentioned some other names as well, and, and I just strongly disagreed with that, and that's why I've been a proponent of saying, all right, in a guard-wing-driven league, can you move one of the bigs and get a young-ish type guy in the backcourt or on the wing that obviously you hope has a you know, better track record from a health standpoint? He's not going to be a, a you know, instant all-star, but can he be a piece that grows into a starter for you? Uh, because the whole idea to me of running it back, this team will be healthy, it's it's wishful thinking, and it's not how you run an NBA franchise at all. And, you know, I, I, I blame Kevin Pritchard um, a lot, really, for deciding that that was the path uh, best utilized for this offseason. Man, you know, wishful thinking is, is probably the correct term here because I don't want to say this is the straw that broke the camel's back, but between the Sumner and T.J. Warren back-to-back day – injuries really just feels like you know this team is never going to be healthy and I don't want to say that it forces their hand to make a move but taking human you know aspects out of it who do you think benefits the most from Sumner losing his minutes here yeah that's a great question um sorry I apologize for the semi in the background if you can hear it I didn't realize semis it's just around Rosie's just making or setting the pace debut. It's all right. Yeah, yeah, and I, yeah, I know Rosie. You can probably hear her babbling a little bit, but hopefully the passy will stay in her mouth. Um, the guy that benefits the most, I think, is Duarte. You know, um, but I will get back to something I said earlier about Sumner. There's no one like him on the roster, and, and I don't want to act like Edmund Sumner is, you know, whatever a perennial All Star. But again, there's no when you watch the Pacers play last season. I think it's specifically that West Coast trip. 
Uh, I think the first one, maybe right when, you know, Victor was, I don't know, was he hurt or traded or during that West Coast trip? I kind of forget. But basically, yeah. um, you had Sumner. Yeah, you had Sumner in the starting lineup for some big games out there. And, like, he just brings a pace and athleticism that no one else really replicates on this roster, frankly. And so um, I think that is what you're going to miss. And I don't see anybody, like, any sort of plug and play. Whereas, like, you know, if you were to lose, I don't know, you know, like a Justin Holiday, Doug McDermott, do they do similar things? Yes. Like, I, I just don't think there's somebody like that for Sumner. Now, again, to the minute standpoint, I think Duarte is a guy that benefits, honestly, from both of these things. Um, you know, could you play TJ McConnell a little bit more, you know, with a guy like Malcolm Brogdon? You know, I, I, I don't know where Sumner exactly was going to be in the in the puzzle. Uh, minutes wise, but I would say Duarte benefits the most. Yeah, no, I, I completely agree. I think he does. And I, I'm curious to see what happens now. I mean, what do the Pacers do with Keelan Martin's non-guaranteed contract? Do they bring them? Does they bring him back? Do they look at maybe seeing if Cassius Stanley is open to coming back to training camp at this point to get a roster spot? I mean, I don't know. I think the biggest question for me, Kevin, is looking at how the NFL kind of does things, they've got the IR. They've, they're able to put guys on that list and, you know, not have it count against their roster spots. But the NBA is different. I know they can do like injury exception type things where they can maybe get some salary for somebody that went down with an injury. But I'm sure it wouldn't be much with Edmund Sumner. So I'm not trying to be insensitive at all to the situation. But with him being on an expiring and for not very much money, if they want to keep that roster spot open – maybe bring somebody in. Is there any chance you see them maybe cut him from the roster? Yeah. I mean, it's a fair question. Um, you know, it's the sad reality of where you're at right now. I, I, I mean, going back to the earlier point, I, I would like to think that there would be a way to kind of keep him around and, you know, see if you can, man, this is a torn Achilles. Now that I think about, it. I mean, this is a you know, serious, serious injury. And yeah, you know, it's the same thing I kind of thought about when Victor went down. You know, when Victor went down, and we're talking about a guy that is, you know, 6'4 on a good day, um, doesn't shoot the three, you know, anywhere close to whatever, 45% or, you know, a 45% is a huge number. But, you know, I'm saying consistently high, high 30s. Mm -hmm. um, he's not, you know, a premier, premier ball handler. And Victor needs his, you know, freakish athletic ability to be the player that, you know, he's been before in the league. You know, Sumner, has he taken strides as a perimeter shooter? Yes, but we all see his ball handling. You know, at times it, it's it's pretty darn erratic. So um, he's got to have that that pop and that that true, really explosive ability. So it, it's going to be a big look in the mirror moment. Um, and, and honestly, I mean, knowing how the Pacers operate, I, I think they will give him another chance. At times, I feel like the moves the Pacers make are a little bit too sentimental. Again, yeah. it, it, it goes back to the wishful thinking. And at times, I just wish this franchise would look in the mirror a little bit more and make decisions that might not have this, hey, you know what? I put this roster together. It's going to work out. I think back to the trade deadline last year. I don't know what the offers would have been for Doug McDermott, but you can't tell me that you couldn't have moved him at the deadline last year for something. You know, it, it, especially when the Warren news was announced right around there as well. So. Yeah, I don't, you know, maybe one of the two-way contract guys benefits from this, but I would say that they keep Sumner, and and I, I mean, I wouldn't be too opposed to it, but, you know, granted that I'm falling into the sentimental trap, I guess, a little bit too. 
Hey, the Pacers do that. I mean, you got to wonder, did they actually think they were going to be able to bring back McDermott and McConnell? It, no one thought that was going to happen. So great point over there. For my last point, as it relates to Sumner, does this make Jeremy Lamb more valuable to the Pacers, or is this still about trying to find a way to potentially get his contract off the books this year? Yeah, it, it's a great question. You know, something that um, Alex and I were DMing about earlier in the week when when the Warren injury or the Warren rehab, um, when that press release was announced, I, you know, Lamb, again, his injury history is, is there as well. Um, and, and you can't ignore that. I feel like he will factor in some minutes because sooner or later you do just need some guys to, to play. It's just kind of a weird line of thinking of like, Hey, we're going to play this guy to try and, you know, get his trade value up when it's like, you know, you have a Duarte sitting there. It's like, all right, are you going to sacrifice minutes from him? So I, I don't look at Jeremy Lamb and think that he's, you know, a, a core piece moving forward. I also don't think he's like a bad, awful player by any means. Um, when, when healthy, I think he brings something to you. But um, and when you look at minutes right now, and this is just me going off the top of my head, let's say Warren, you know, misses the first whatever couple couple months who knows what obviously you're going to start Brogdon I assume Levert um, the two bigs Sabonis and Turner you know we can debate let's just say it's Justin Holiday as the other wing I, I look at a rotation then of McConnell um, and correct me if I'm wrong if I'm missing anybody Duarte Craig Bursette Goga is that does that sound like I don't know the first five off the bench? I, I don't. Yep, again, yeah. maybe. No, I, and, and then and then wherever Lamb fits in, I guess. Mm. Um, so you know, again, from a number standpoint, like I, I think you can get by. You're going to give some minutes to some other people, but it's just like you would have liked to, I think, given minutes to Sumner, to Duarte. Obviously, if you know when 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 you know he is healthy. Um, when you get in training camp in the preseason and things like that, because those are guys that are younger, have shown more promise. And, you know, in Sumner's case, I thought took a big step last season. Yeah, no, it's just a big bummer for Edmund. I think we're all, you know, sad for him, devastated for him because we thought, Hey, you know, this is a guy that even if he is the 11th man on the roster, 12th man on the roster, he still provided something of, you know, importance to this team in terms of in terms of depth and in terms of what he could become, and, you know, he's just a good guy, and he's been working hard at getting there. So we're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. 
Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. I want to transition now into the conversation that we had said we were going to talk about the most with you, KB. And that is, did the Pacers make a mistake? By not trading one of the bigs, I'm going to leave the floor open for you to just dive right into that question. Uh, yes, in short, uh, that is my answer. And, um, you know, I, I've tried to explain this on the morning show, and I know it can kind of be a little bit, and I'm kind of, I'm glad and grateful you guys are having me on because when you, uh, when you look at how this roster was constructed or is constructed, I should say, if you're talking about, assets on this team um you have a ton of assets invested in the center position or you know maybe even like you know stretch four whatever you want to call it um I guess Isaiah Jackson isn't a stretch four at all but like you have invested a whole lot in terms of contracts to Turner and Sabonis obviously a draft pick with with Turner Goga top 20 pick um, Isaiah Jackson is, you know, top 25 pick, you know, you trade away Aaron Holiday and some other assets for him. Um, those are about four of your top, I don't know, 10, 11 assets on your team in no way, shape or form. Will you show me an NBA contender over the last few years that's made a run in the playoffs that has that sort of roster construction? And I get it. There's a, there's a thinking of like, can you, can you be a contrarian in the NBA, all of that. But at the same time, I just feel like it's a garden wing league and you aren't as talented nor healthy enough in the backcourt um, for that to be at the level that you need it to be, you know, to be a team that's contending at the top of the Eastern Conference. So I think when you factor that in um, and again, what you have on your team from a contract standpoint, a young player standpoint, I would have tried to move one of the bigs. Um, I think, you know, Warren, O'Shea Brissett, you know, one of those guys can play the four for you. You have enough wings, and then can you go out there and find another guard um, to you know fit into the uh, into the puzzle as well? Another thing is like, I feel like Duarte. You know, obviously is you know he's he's twenty four, but like I was hoping that that lottery pick would have been a, a, a new timeline guy. You know, could you find a guy at like nineteen or twenty that if for some reason you really need to restart things? or it's not working out in two to three years, you've got a piece that's maybe 21, 22 years old starting to enter his prime, whereas Duarte is going to be, you know, whatever, 27, somewhere around then, and it's not going to be a guarantee at all that, you know, he's going to be that definite piece for you for the next, you know, five to ten years, something like that. So, um, yes, I would have uh, I would have moved one of the bigs. You know, KB, call me crazy, but I feel like the only team trying to do what we're doing with the double bigs is Cleveland right now. They're, they're stockpiling bigs, and that's the last team I want to be in the same category as. So <laughs> yeah. I just feel like something's got to change. But is it safe to say that Turner and Sabonis feel like the yin to the yang, where it's like if you could combine their strengths, you're looking at an unbelievable shot-blocking, smooth-passing, fantastic screen-setting, three-point shooting big, but just – we're stuck in a, in a spot where they both complement each other so well, but it's just so hard to maximize both of their potential in the lineup together. 
Yeah, and obviously it's difficult on the defensive end of the floor, certainly. And we saw that big time last year as well. I don't need to remind anybody of that. Um, and yeah, and I and I tr- try to you know really drill this home. But it, I'm not, and I would I would trade Turner for, for for what it's worth of the two. It's not that I'm anti Turner. I just look at the skill sets that you have behind him and Doga and maybe a little bit of Jackson and think to myself, all right, those guys can give you something along the lines of what Turner has given you. Now it's two players that are going to have to combine to do that. Uh, but Sabonis is too unique for me, way too skilled. Um, he's your best offensive player on the team. I, I think that's bar none with what he does from a screening standpoint, what he does from a passing standpoint, you know, hockey assists, those sorts of things. Obviously he can go get you a bucket in the post, started to shoot the three ball a little bit better last year, all of those things. So um, I, you know, when, when, when Kevin Pritchard first said a couple of years back, you know, how do you be the contrarian? You know, part of me was like, wow, you know, that's something that I, I, I think makes sense in that, okay, you're in, you're, you're in a smallish market. Um, is this the opportunity for, you know, again, everybody's going to yen and you're going to yang. Like it, it sounded okay. And then I like watched it unfold and I've seen how the NBA continues to operate and think to myself, how many times do you get to the finals and, you know, Milwaukee's looking for every way that they can take Brooke Lopez off the floor and, you know, other teams that, you know, have these, you know, bigs that give you, you know, quality minutes during the regular season, they all of a sudden, you know, it's okay. Can you find a PJ Tucker to play the five? And, you know, I go back to a game last year against Chicago late in the season, or I think somewhat late in the season. And I mean, it was like Thaddeus Young and Denzel Valentine were the biggest players on the, on the, on the floor for the Bulls. They got every loose ball and they just kind of whipped in the final few minutes and into overtime as well. And I just don't think rolling out the two bigs when you aren't talented enough in the backcourt, like that's, I think what we lose sight of is you don't have these dynamic guards really on either end of the floor to where you look at the backcourt wing situation here in Indiana and think, oh, wow, the Pacers have, you know, perennial all-star guys there. You don't have that. You've got good players, but you just got too many good players and you don't have enough great players in the right spots. It's kind of like, you know, the NFL, and this is a big argument I think you see a lot of Colts fans make. It's, you know, the Colts' two best players, arguably, you know, play offensive guard and linebacker. Um, That's great. They're great players, but... You know, you look at Kansas City recently, and their best players are the quarterback and left tackle and pass or uh, you know pass catcher and you know those those premium positions that you know that's kind of how the league has been trending. So I think that's another reason to factor in as well. Yeah, and this was something I brought up uh, with you when I was messaging you on Twitter the other day was just when they drafted Gogo Batadze in 2019. To me, it felt like it just diminished the value of both Miles and Domas because now teams. We're looking at this roster saying, why did they draft another center? You know, there was a lot of teams that were high on Goga. I, I think a lot of people anticipated him being drafted before 18. So, you know, we always say go best talent available. But at this point, to me, Goga wasn't as ready as I think the Pacers maybe thought he was. So that's why they didn't move on as quick. They're trying to win while trying to develop, which is a very hard thing to do. We saw how McMillan really did a good job of kind of bringing – Sabonis out after the first six minutes of the first quarter and then running him a lot with the second unit. And we saw how impactful Sabonis was with the second unit before he became a starter when Thad Young was still here. So personally for me, when I look at this team, I I think I kind of feel bad for all the big guys because 
Goga's not getting an opportunity to play. Miles not really getting an opportunity to do much on offense besides be a guy that stretches the floor for the team. And then Sabonis on defense is having to play out of position. You're not really maximizing what these guys can do in a positive way, but you're kind of highlighting what they can do negatively. And I think there's been, there's been reports about a lot of teams wanting Turner, but I feel like because the value has diminished, where the Pacers might view a guy like Miles or a guy like Domas, other teams might not have that same viewpoint of him. I know that there was a rumor out there talking about Charlotte really wanting him. Well, I know the Pacers really like P.J. Washington, but the, the Hornets were not willing to give up P.J. Washington for Miles Turner straight up in a deal. So with that being said, you might think Miles Turner at this point in his career has proven more than P.J. Washington, and he's a better player, especially with that Hornets roster really needing a modern-day center. But I just feel like with everything that's happened prior to the last couple of seasons, we just have seen the value continue to diminish a little bit on these guys. Even though they're in their prime, they know the Pacers are, you know, kind of have their hands tied, and they're not willing to offer more than what, you know, they think they need to offer. Yeah, you know, there's a couple points I want to hit on there. Um, to your first one about Goga, you know, in, in maintaining these two bigs, you are stunting the growth of Goga. Um, now, you know, I can certainly hear an argument from a Pacers fan that says Goga, you know, he's not going to turn into anything. Like, okay, that's fine. After two seasons, I thought he made some strides last season, not the jump that you would have expected. And like you said, the Pacers thought he would be much more ready, I think, early on that he's shown. So, you know, I can hear you out there, but, you know, have you given him the full-on opportunity um, to really, you know, grow? Because you've got to commit, especially to the the foreign players, you've got to commit minutes to them and have a consistent role. And I just don't feel like that's been there for him. So the longer you continue to keep the bigs, and you could say this for Isaiah Jackson down the road, if you continue to to run it back, um, that, you know, there's a little bit of stunting there. You know, as far as trading Turner, Sabonis, whoever you want to move, I I feel like, again, this goes back to our look in the mirror. The Pacers have just got to accept that, yes, they don't have a ton of leverage in this situation. And having said that, I, Turner and Sabonis or whoever can offer, you know, a, a substantial role to another team because theoretically that team is looking for a center. They aren't going to play them you know, alongside another big that they have. So I still think you can get value. I, I you know, I, yes, you know, a couple teams has that value lessened. Yeah, but when you're not going anywhere with your own construction, then you're going to have to make some sacrifices. And the exact path and blueprint that you thought was going to lead to success, it, it, it's going to have to be changed. And one of the big worries that I have is you're running into a point with Turner – Turner, this is what? He's got two years left. Is that correct on, mm-hmm. on his contract? You're running to the point with Turner now when you don't, assuming he's not traded this year, what are you going to get for him next year? Like, because <laughs> once you ha- you know roll into a player on an expiring deal, we know where that leverage goes. It goes right out the window. So that, I think, is another worry is you are almost too far into the deep end, and there's no turning back with this because – you just aren't I, – I don't see his trade value really increasing at all. I don't know. Maybe a desperate team at the deadline does something crazy. But still, I, I just don't see that. Um, I almost feel like the Pacers are pot committed at this point. And the leverage, if any, that they ever had with Turner, you know, seemingly on a good contract, still young, 
that's that's almost disintegrated really because you know once you get into that final year of the deal um i just don't see it working out you know the oladipo lavert thing that that obviously worked out tremendous but i i just don't see that necessarily you know happening and obviously you know a much much different player playing a different position as well you know, for deploying two bigs out there, the Pacers have really been a team that has struggled massively rebounding the ball and getting the free throw line. Two things that Turner has quite not excelled at, you know, to, to put it lightly. Um, you know, he's, he's a, a guy that can stretch the floor, you know, like to label him as a three-point shooter. But outside of the one season where he shot roughly 39%, he's a career 33% shooter from three. Uh, if Turner's going to take a step forward, what does he need to work on more? Is it being a better knockdown three-point shooter, or is it being a better rebounder? What would be valued more for this Pacers team? Yeah, Fauci, I think that's a great point that you make about, you know, you have these two bigs, so theoretically you should be this kind of slobber knocker, control the paint, you know, be one of the best rebounding teams in the NBA, and that hasn't been there at all. Now, I will say, I think the perimeter defense is lacking, and that was part of, you know, my my – some of my thinking of like, okay, can you move a big and then you get a little bit better perimeter wise on defense? Cause obviously I know the Turner from a rim protection standpoint, he does bring in a whole, whole lot. Um, you know, where can he improve? Like what, what, what worried me about last year? Um, and I think you were, you just kind of brought this up. If you, and I don't have the numbers in front of me, I know the volume is a little bit different, but if I'm not mistaken, Sabonis shot the three better percentage wise than Turner did last year. Mm-hmm. So uh, like, a yeah, I mean, it, was, it wasn't huge, but, like, if you're looking at the trends of those two guys as three-point shooters, Sabonis, theoretically, is moving up a little bit, and Turner's kind of middling um, throughout his career. Now, again, volume isn't, isn't the exact same there, uh, but that would be a little bit worrisome for me. You know, what what can Turner do? Like, you know, I, I, I'm not going to sit here and act like I, I, I think it's all of a sudden going to take some massive leap. I think we've kind of seen what he is. And I don't want that to sound like some massive knock because I do think um, for a lot of teams around the league, that guy is your starting center. You would be content with that. You know, he can hit the open shot. Um, yes, he's not going to give you much of a back to the basket game, um, but obviously he's going to protect the rim really, really well as upside defender and things like that. I've always said this before. Like I've kind of laughed the Turner defensive player of the year stuff. Like, you know, am I expecting them to hold Joel Embiid to 18 and eight in a game? No, not at all. Am I expecting Joel Embiid to not have 38 and 22 or whatever Joel Embiid's averages are seemingly against the Pacers? Yes. Like that is what, if you are going to be, you know, one of the best rim protector defensive player of the year, whatever you want to call it, First off, you got to be more available. And second off, when you are, you know, going up against the the premier, premier guys um, in the league, you can't just have them, you know, especially Embiid, you know, be your daddy. And Steven Adams and Andre Drummond and, you know, I'm sure there's a couple other names that are escaping me right now, but they oftentimes seem to put up, you know, borderline career nights it's like these guys need to be much closer to their averages if not below average when you're facing a guy like Turner so I think that is a part of his game from an on-ball defense standpoint that you would like to see improve but you know I'm not really holding my yeah no I I I completely understand that point of view too and I think if you look back at, at two years in the bubble 
that game won against Bam out of bio. Bam just ate his lunch. But then the rest of that series, I thought Turner played pretty well against Bam in that series. So I don't necessarily think – I think Embiid's just a tough matchup for really anybody, but specifically Miles because Embiid's so much bigger. But that doesn't give him an excuse for allowing him to just get him in foul trouble so easily and stuff like that. But one of the things that I keep looking back at is in this offseason, maybe why they didn't move one of these guys to play devil's advocate a little bit here is one, they they probably knew about T.J. Warren and his injury, and they felt like if he's not going to be able to play heavy minutes at the four, then maybe right now we don't force a trade knowing that one of our starters might miss a significant amount of time. We don't know how long it's going to be, but it's it's not an excuse, but it, it you can kind of make sense of it in a sense. And I think also there is the Carlisle aspect of it because Carlisle has praised Miles Turner several different times when asked about him when he was coaching the Mavericks. Now, I know that Dallas is his hometown, so he's not going to say anything negatively about a guy that's on an opposing team, but I think he did mention, like, hey, he can figure some ways out to play these two together but stagger their minutes a lot. I think it could really impact Goga and him in the rotation because, for me, if everyone was fully healthy, not including Sumner at this point, but, I mean, if Warren's healthy, I can see where Goga's not even in the rotation and you really just kind of stagger those two guys' minutes, and you start them together, but you, you stagger them for most of the game and figure it out. That's why you got Craig and Brissett to play the backup four some to go with uh, T.J. Warren playing the four. So a lot of things there to look at, but ultimately one of the main reasons I don't feel like the Pacers made a trade with one of the bigs, they're afraid to trade a guy that's 24, 25, 26, whatever that age is, that young of a guy, and miss out and not get enough value in return. And then that person be impactful somewhere else. And then it looks like they lost the trade. That's to me is just a bit of fear of making a bad trade, but I think that is part of what happened, Kevin. Yeah. Okay. A couple things there, uh, you know, counter to that, I think would be, you know, if I'm not mistaken, didn't Warren tweet out a few weeks ago that he was playing basketball. He did. Like, he did. So, video so, right. So I'm thinking this setback, isn't this great? Like I can barely get my daughter to ever like not be obsessed with her passy. And then as I'm doing this podcast via walk, she just refuses the passy. So <laughs> nothing, nothing sums up parenthood quite like that. Um, anyways, like it, again, if this theoretically setback happened in the last three or four weeks, I mean, it, you know, you missed out on your opportunity to trade Turner or Sabonis, whoever, you know, much earlier in the off season. So I, 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 I hear you out, but not completely on that. Mm. Um, the other point was, refresh me what you said there a little bit late. Oh, you were kind of talking about being, being afraid of making a bad trade. Yeah. You know, th- this was the debate around the draft because, and Jay Michael, as you guys know full well, was all over it there late. Like, you're sitting there at 13, and you know, there's multiple avenues that you can go down. I, and I, I think Duarte is a very, very good, good, good player. I mean, I, I had, I had Oregon going deep in my, in my bracket because I did stay up for a few Pac-12 games late. I was like, this dude is a, it's a, he's a pro, frankly, you know, amongst, you know, a bunch of younger college guys. But it, it came down to it like a baseball analogy for me of like, do you hit the solid double or do you try to swing a little bit bigger? And I was in the swing a little bit bigger camp because you're a franchise that printer, you know, annually has not drafted anywhere near 13 overall. And that opportunity and passing it by to me um, was a bit of a mistake. And again, I don't want this to sound like a knock on the player because I do like him, 
but I just thought the pick was a little bit safer in that and when you're in this market and you know full well that to truly build a championship team, if you don't hit big in the draft, you're frankly never going to be able to compete at the highest level. And I think a little bit of Kevin Pritchard thought to himself, oh boy, uh, I know my draft resume. I know what it looked like in Portland and I know what it looks like, what it looks like in Indiana and it's not good. And he's doing anything to get on base, to continue the baseball analogy. And Duarte is more than just getting on base. I mean, he, he again, a solid pick. But, you know, at 13, and not just sitting there at 13, this is where I come back to trading Turner. Are you packaging Turner and trying to move up in the draft? You know, could you have gotten as high as Suggs? You would have done probably a couple other things, certainly. Could you have gotten a, a, as high as, you know, Davion Mitchell? Something like that to where you get more, a little bit more of that splash. Obviously, Suggs would have been the big, big splash and would have been much younger than the other two guys. Uh, but that is, is another area where I just felt like that opportunity at 13, it's got to be viewed in a much, much bigger light than just, Hey, let's find a guy that's, you know, going to be a nice rotational player from day one. And, you know, hopefully be a starter for you for, you know, X amount of years. To me, you've got to look at that and say, guys, you know, scouts, whatever, we got to go find the next guy that's going to go on the side of our building. And I thought that was a missed opportunity. And well said KB. And uh, as we wrap up, tell everybody where they can find you on social media and all the great stuff you have going on. Yeah, it's uh, at KBowen1070. I'm reminded daily I need to change my Twitter profile. I just got ver- I just got denied verification from, from wow. Twitter. Yeah. So, you know, you talk about a look in the mirror moment for myself. You know, <laughs> not only will my daughter refuse to take the passy, Twitter will refuse to give me the blue check mark again. But, uh, yeah, KBowen1070 on Twitter. And then uh, I'm hosting the fan morning show um, from 7 to 10 a.m. So that's on 107.5 The Fan. And 93.5 here in Indianapolis. You can stream it via our app and via the website, and we're on YouTube as well. So, yeah, that's where uh, that's where I'm at. Absolutely love it. Can't thank you enough for coming on, and hope to chat soon. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. All right, I want to thank Kevin Bowen once again for coming on. I know this is football week, and I know a lot of you guys are staying up to watch that Thursday night football. So if you're listening to this Friday morning or on the weekend, hope you guys enjoy that football season is back. But have no fear, basketball season is right around the corner, and we are going to continue to talk about this Pacers team. As we get close to training camp, I believe this Monday, Fachi, Brogdon and the rest of the veterans that are healthy are going to be back to get themselves ready two weeks prior to training camp. Hey, if you need some positive news, that is it. The Pacers are getting there. They're hitting it nice and early. I mean, that's that's exactly what you want to hear and see out of the team. Just unfortunately, it feels like uh, we're, we're losing our numbers by the day. So I'm excited just to see the guys back on the court in any type of positive report. I think right now is much needed. Yeah, and in all seriousness, I think that me and Fachi both want to express our condolences to Edmund Sumner for the injury that he sustained and going to miss most of the season, if not all of it. I know that we did have some tough conversations in there talking about 
you know, could the, could the Pacers release him? You know, what, what, what's going to happen with Edmund Sumner's future? Those are questions that we felt like we needed to discuss and answer based on how this team could shake up roster wise and where we felt like Sumner was, but it does not take away from the fact that we are just absolutely devastated for Edmund Sumner because we've really, really liked this guy as a person, like you said, at the beginning, Fachi, and as a player, we really see the upside in him. So we are devastated to hear of the injury news and sorry if anything sounded insensitive, maybe in that first segment talking about different alternate routes I could go with him possibly missing the season. Yeah. I mean, Hey, look guys, you know, this is, uh, we, we very much care about Ed, Edmund, the person, you know, also Edmund, the player and everything wrapped all in there. You know, we are, uh, covering the team. So if anything sounded insensitive, Hey, apologies, but, uh, you know, that that's our job to talk about what the impact of the injury is. So we wish him nothing but a speedy recovery. Get well soon, Edmund. Yeah, let's just hope that no more injuries happen up until training camp in the start of the season because at this point, we've already gone down one starter more than likely for the start of the season, and then now a rotational guy or end-of-the-rotation kind of guy that really might have had an opportunity with Warren being out. So we'll we'll see what happens here, Fachi. Just hoping that there's positive vibes over at Bankers Life Fieldhouse. Nothing else happens, but... I just keep thinking about when the Pacers made that trade for Karis LeVert, Kevin Pritchard said, we went ahead and went through the deal with, we went, we went ahead and went through with the deal. We feel like the injury gods are on our side and it just has not panned out since he said that it wasn't really panning up before that either, but that is in the back of my mind. I'm just hoping that maybe we will catch a break eventually. I really hope so. Only time will tell. We are definitely due to catch a break. So, um, you know, hey, there's only oh so much uh, injury and negative news that uh, one team can take until uh, the tides turn. Absolutely. So once again, I want to thank Travis Rigney for the new intro music and Kevin Bowen for coming on to discuss all of this with us. But Fachi, where can the people find us at on social media? So you can find us on Twitter at setting the pace three. You can find Alex on Twitter at Alex Golden NBA. You can find me on Twitter at underscore F-A-C-C-I. You can find us on TikTok at Setting the Pace. And you can find us on Facebook at Setting the Pace. And if you're excited to see the Pacers back in action in just a few weeks, say these three words. Let's go Pacers! Mother's Day is almost here, and you can get her the most beautiful time-tested gift around. A watch she can wear every day for movement. Whether mom's into classic dress watches, rare and refined ceramics, or tried-and-true bestsellers, movement has something she'll love. And right now, you can save big on the best Mother's Day gift ever with up to 50% off site-wide during movement's Mother's Day sale at MVMT.com. Again, that's up to 50% off at MVMT.com.